We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Sex, money, and Washington. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable. I'm Matt Robeson, your host. We're part of the Beyond Politics podcast. We're on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. And I'm joined, as usual, by former Democratic two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and are returning back from, you're like Willis Reed, coming back from the ankle twist, Alicia Preston, our conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant. Alicia, welcome back. We had a, I'm going to mix sports metaphors here. We had a great pinch hitter in your absence, but nothing like having you back. You sound fantastic. I've decided this is my new radio voice, and it's just going to be here to stay. Yes, yes. It's what the former lead hostage negotiator for the FBI calls your late night, FM radio host DJ voice. It's it's sultry. So look, I know. Before I the 80s front, and 800 numbers were still around, I could make bank on this. Yeah, did you? I particularly like Girls of Many Nations, 970 NATO. <laughs> joking about that. That's that's a joke from the Eddie Murphy movie, The Distinguished Gentleman. Look, all right, look, we've teased the idea that there's going to be sex and money and Washington. I think there's going to be at least two out of those three things, and it's not the good one here. Let's start by talking about a run on banks. I know, as the French would say, le snore, but it matters. It's really important. The last time we had this kind of problem, we had an entire Great Recession, and millions of people lost their jobs and their homes, and it sucked. And so we do have to talk about the fact that two banks have been shut down by regulators because there was a run on the banks going on. Paul, I'm going to turn to you on this one first, because obviously you were a member of Congress during the last time we had one of these situations. You were on the Financial Services Committee. That's like the committee that deals with banks. What were the last 72 hours like for you as you've watched all of this unfold? Are you having flashbacks? There's a, there, I wouldn't call them flashbacks. I'd call it PTSD because when back when- Yeah, you have your own kind of flashbacks. They're a lot more fun than this. That's right. Back when I got on the Financial Services Committee, I spent a weekend like the weekend that just was with the Democratic caucus being called together suddenly for an emergency phone call. Nancy Pelosi introduced us to Paulson and then Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson Then Treasury Secretary Paulson. He got on the phone with, I guess, Bernanke at the time and Fed they chair said, Ben Bernanke, Fed chair Bernanke. And they said, we got a problem. The banks in the world are failing. Um, we're going to have to bail them out. We're going to probably have to spend who knows what, maybe a trillion dollars. You've got to give us, just give us the money. There was, as far as we could tell, no plan, no strategy. Just give us the money. Say yes to the money. we got to bail them out. And we said, we really need a plan. So the next day, Congress was presented with a two-page document. Here's our plan. Give us the money. It was a cartoon strip, right? It was like Congress with big money bags with dollar signs on them, <laughs> handing over money to George W. Bush, who was tenting his fingers like Mr. Burns. Exactly. exactly. Yes, okay. That's yeah, what I thought. That was it. And so they got the money. They bailed out the banks. 
and the cries and pleas of those of us who said, you really need a strategy. We said, listen, all these people are going to lose their houses. You better do something to help the little guy. Yes, bail out the banks, but politically, we're really in tough shape if you don't bail out the little guy. And practically, the economy is going to be in tough shape if you don't bail out the little guy. They tried but they didn't really bail out the little guy. The political repercussions for Democrats, I think, are still reverberating. Fast forward to this weekend when President Biden did everything he could except stand on his head to say, we're protecting the little guy here. In these bank failures, we're not going to let this infect the rest of the banking system, and we are going to use the power of the Federal Reserve and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is banked up to about $126 billion in reserves paid by banks who pay their FDIC fees. Now- Can you just pause on that? Because I, I want to, not that I want to get into the weeds of banking here for a second, but this is what got us in trouble 14 years ago. What we're saying here is most of the time, when you put your money in the bank, because we went through the Great Depression in the 1930s, and we've all seen It's a Wonderful Life, and we've, we've seen Jimmy Stewart explaining how fractional reserve banking works, and it's like, the bank doesn't keep all your money there. It lends it out. And so, like, they do a run on the bank, and he's, oh, I don't have your money. It's in Bill's house. It's in Fred's house, which begs the question, why is my money in your house, Fred, it's I guess Alicia's is the question. house. It's in Alicia's hen house. So what mm. we're talking about here is, normally, what the federal government says is, no matter what, regular depositors, you put your money in the bank, it is insured. You get your money back up to $250,000. But what President Biden did over the weekend is he said, everything is getting covered. No one is going to lose their money. So all the companies with like normal people, not like executives, like normal people who go to work, all the companies that do their payroll through the, these banks you will be able to meet payroll. People will get paid. Everything is insured. That's essentially what you're saying. And the effect was that we're talking about this and we're not talking about the complete collapse of the banking system. We're not talking about people lining up at their banks all over the country, pulling out their money in fear. Money and banking and these kinds of events can be contagious. The work that was done over the weekend was effective in calming the fears and psychology of the larger population. It doesn't look like the entire banking system is threatened by the failure of these two banks. The one in New York, the Signature Bank, was deep into cryptocurrency, and the Silicon Valley Bank looked like they did some really stupid and bad moves in the face of rapidly rising interest rates when they had bought bonds whose values plummeted and they ran out of their liquidity. I just got to point out on that last one, I find it mystifying. Yeah. Okay. I find it mystifying because on this show, I have Chris Hill of Motley Fool Money. We've been talking about this for a long time. I have Mike Morton, a personal financial advisor. We've been talking about hey, be careful with bonds. Interest rates are going up. Like, we know this was like a known thing that was happening. I don't know. I don't understand how they screwed this up so badly. Let me ask Alicia a question. So it was really interesting to see the Republican reaction to all of this because it was wonderfully restrained. It was quite muted, in fact, that the the House Republicans head of the bank, this guy, Patrick McHenry, he's he was very 
restrained. He said, yep, this was the right thing to do. Mitt Romney tweeted out, good move. And so even the Wall Street Journal editorial board, the biggest thing they had to say about this is that the Biden administration's moves did not come with a very clear directive about executive compensation. What was your reaction as you were lying in your recovery bed and binging SpongeBob? <laughs> Let me speak on the for the vast majority of Americans when I say, I don't understand what happened. I don't know why it happened. And I have no idea how it affects me. Right. I'm, that's just the reality. That's most of us sitting here like, what is going on? I think the muted tone from Republicans is good if it means that we're not being partisan because we're coming together because a complete financial meltdown of our banking system in this country would be a disaster for absolutely everybody. So let's come together and stop the problem before it becomes bigger. And I think that's huge. And I like seeing that. And the only real criticism that I've seen is from like the ultra partisans, although I get a kick out of some of them. John Rich, country singer, huge Trump fan, tweets out. And of course, he's got a million followers, tweets out, I don't remember any banks failing under Donald Trump, do you? And everyone replied, yeah, 16 of them did. What are you talking about, bro? It's kind of like... Yeah. But and yeah. also remember this that in 2018, under the vaunted Donald Trump, the Congress passed a rollback of the Dodd Frank regulations. I don't want to, I won't get weedy except to say that back in 2008, 2009, I was on the Financial Services Committee and Barney Frank and Chris Dodd, who were the banking gurus respectively in the House and the Senate, got together. We put together this big bill. And what the bill did was really impose regulations for the first time in a coordinated way that had not been coordinated. When I got to Congress in 2007 and tried to figure out, because I was a generalist, I was not a banking and financial expert. I got on this committee and luckily I had smart people on my staff like Matt and Lauren Oppenheimer. Lauren, if you're listening- He's now a senior treasury official. Lauren, save us, please, Lauren. Lauren, Lauren Oppenheimer, if you're listening, I credit you with anything I know about playing an economist on television. Anyway, there was this complete alphabet soup of regulations of our financial system, and it was clear that nobody had been talking. They hadn't been talking to each other. So Dodd-Frank brought regulators together, and it imposed that regulation on lots of banks. In 2018, the Congress passed a rollback of regulations, which they said was aimed at helping community banks. So Democrats have been pointing to that rollback, saying, hey, you rolled back regulations for banks under $250 billion, which meant that only the top 10 banks in the country are really getting the intense scrutiny that we would want banks to have. So what's interesting here is I saw a quote from Barney Frank, the author of the Dodd-Frank bill, who said, yeah, I don't really think that, I, as Barney would say, I don't really think that had anything to do with it. But Paul, Paul, you and I love Barney. We love us some Barney Frank. But he served on the board of one of these two banks, dude. Oh, you know, right. I mean, we love you, man, but I'm not going to listen to you on this one. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
I just want to make one observation. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I don't know what they're called. Cryptocurrency dealers, brokers, financial people, whatever. Dealers sounds right when you're, when you're selling an addictive and valueless substance like crypto. They're being yes. absolute predators on social media right now in the wake of this. Have you seen this? They're putting all these statistics up about how the dollar is failing. Paper money is yesterday. It's going to be the destruction of our country. Take all your money out of banks, put it into crypto, click here. It is absolutely predatory. It is like drug dealers out there and they're trying to get... <laughs> I'm going to step in here for Alicia, who had to take a little cough break for a second. Look, I just so you know, like, this is no joke. Like, Alicia's been down for the count. So one of the things that Signature Bank allowed people to do was to take crypto BS currencies that don't exist. They're all vapor. They're just, they're like online gambling. They're like the chips you get in a casino. And then you take your chips in a casino, you turn them in at the window and you get actual dollars. That's what this bank did is it allowed you to take your Bitcoin, Ethercoin, Doge, double dumbass coin and turn it into dollars. Now there's almost nowhere to do that. So the idea that these crypto dealers, like they're essentially crack dealers, are now going on social media and saying, this is the time to get in, into our absolutely disgusting, useless trade is so backwards because it's even more valueless wrapping up this topic that as we record this, it's March 14th, it's Pi Day. Yay, Pi. As we record this, it's not 100% clear yet that we've managed to stop the contagion of the banking problem. It could still spread. Maybe the emergency actions from the Biden administration will work and the intervention will work. We don't know. But this is a great instance of when things do work, you never hear about it, right? Like when people actually evacuate ahead of a hurricane and there are no lives lost, you don't get like a round of the public rising up and saying, thank goodness for our governor. She really took bold, decisive action that saved lives because you don't know. You don't know what the alternative reality would have been. This could well be a case of the Biden administration saved us trillions of dollars in losses and lost jobs and lost economic output. And we just won't know. If this works, we probably won't know. And no one will ever get credit for it. But that's the job. That's what Can I hop on your analogy real quickly? Please. What happens? Which one? I just made seven. Made seven. Three, I'm going to stick to at one. At least three of them were terrible. One is the, let's say a governor says you have to evacuate because a hurricane's coming. And so no one gets killed. And what do the people say in the media? They say, see, governor, you overreacted. <laughs> that's right. That's right? right. Isn't that what happens? Yep. That's, that's what's right. going to happen. We're never going to know, but that's going to be what happens. We're never going to know. You know what? Patrick McHenry, I would like to give you the golf clap on the balance of power roundtable because, you know, when people like you and Mitt Romney, when you act like adults, that actually want to govern the country, we should applaud that. And I genuinely do. Speaking of acting like adults that want to govern the country, I'm getting worried here, folks, because, okay, I used to work for members of Congress who were Democrats who were part of a group called the Blue Dogs. No one knows who they are. No one cares. I care a little bit because this is part of my life. But they used to be a really important political force in America. They're conservative Democrats. Okay, that's all you need to know. They're conservative Democrats. Yeah, they're from rural states. They're the kinds of Democrats who, like, it's really surprising that a Democrat won there. And I used to work for some of these folks. We'd get together and we'd say, all the staffers here work for Blue Dogs. We need to team up and come up with a Blue Dog budget. We need to go through the budget and come up with our own version that kind of reflects our values. 
And we used to live in what I called the blue dog box because all of these Democrats represented rural conservative districts. And so there were certain political third rails you couldn't touch. For one thing, you can't offend the old people, so you are not going to cut Social Security and Medicare. Okay, we're not going to do that. That would be terrible. You're also representing conservative places. So you don't want to look weak on defense. You can't cut defense. You actually, you probably have to increase defense spend. Okay, we know that. But you've got to balance the budget. That's your whole reason for existence. You're budget hawks. So what you're left with is nothing. You're stuck in a box. You cannot, because there is not enough money left over in everything else to balance that budget. That is the box that the Republican leadership, the actual majority of the House of Representatives, have put themselves in. They have promised that they're going to put out a budget that balances within 10 years, that does not cut Medicare or Social Security, and that does not cut defense, and that somehow magic happens. And it's scary. Ultimately, I don't care. I don't think any, I don't think you guys care whether they come up with a budget or not. Oh, except for the fact that if they don't manage to do it, the Freedom Caucus has promised that they'll destroy the American economy by not allowing us to increase the debt ceiling. So this is scary. Alicia, defend your boys. Look, I think, I don't know if you can balance a budget in 10 years or not, and I'm not going to pretend to be in the weeds that far. I certainly think there are places you can cut spending and to say otherwise is ridiculous. I am a huge supporter of defense. I am a huge supporter in sending money and weaponry that cost us money to Ukraine. And if Taiwan needs us, I'll be there too. I think, again, I don't know, we are so bloated in our federal government. I don't think it's as easy as people are saying it is to cut the budget, but I certainly think you can. And yes, we have to raise this debt ceiling. Freedom Caucus people, you have to raise the debt ceiling. This isn't what you think it is. People are very, the analogy of raising your credit card limit is such a foolish analogy because this isn't about new spending. This is about bills we already have. This is about paying the existing bills and things that go up. They just do. But I think there, there's so many stupid things from studying the sexual habits of squirrels to a million bucks for shrimp on a treadmill. Maybe you can't cut enough to balance a budget in 10 years, but you can certainly cut the budget a whole heck of a lot. I don't care about the sex lives of squirrels, just for those who are curious. So wait a second. The sex life of squirrels is an interesting topic. You could ask <laughs> Donald Trump about that. And he's embroiled in a number of different scandals that really are analogous to dealing with the sex life of squirrels, because apparently he is the biggest squirrel, the most, the biggest squirrel in all the world. Very strong. Wait, is this the sex that we promised people at the top no, of the show? Is this it? Because oh, no, I thought I was more? sick before, but now Donald Trump's sex and squirrels. I'm like over the limit, this guys. Is, this is budget. That yes. We're talking about budget, not sex with squirrels. But it, this is great audio. As far as the little shrimp on the treadmill, all those little fiddlers going on the treadmill, I get very excited about it. Look, the point about the budget is, Alicia, with all due respect to your expertise in economics and your analysis of the budget, to pull out the old saw, oh, we have a bloated federal government. The word bloated is a favorite word of, I've used it from time to time, other people have, but let's just say that's BS. It does, in, in when you're talking about the budget issues, that's BS, forget about bloated. What we're talking about is the fact that Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and defense, when you put them together, are such a huge proportion of the federal budget that that doing away with shrimp on the treadmills 
does nothing to balance the budget. It's meaningless. The amount of money that's spent on everything else, foreign aid, sex with squirrels, shrimp on treadmills, shrimp and squirrels. Hold on, hold on. I don't think it's sex with squirrels. I think the I think what you're looking for is among. <laughs> because if you start getting into with, I'm afraid we're going to be censored. <laughs> Can we just, I know, I know this is a preposition that we're talking about. As far as I know. I'm, I'm not meaning to be the grammar police here, but can we just agree on, if we agree on nothing else I with use, is use, not right here? <laughs> I use that on purpose. As far oh, no. as I know, somebody's out there studying sex with squirrels. Oh, no. All, but all of that is just a tiny slice of the budget. That is really the problem is that Everyone, I used to be in these rooms, like, you know, what the members of Congress do is they send their staff, they're like, wow, there's a lot of details here. Why don't you guys get in a room and figure it out? Smart people. The the members of Congress are all really stupid. Let me just, they're just. No, there's a lot of wonderful, smart people. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. So we get sent into a room. And it's, it's actually, it's not as nice as you'd imagine. It's not like on the West Wing, like these rooms are crappy. Okay. They're in the basement of the Capitol. Okay. You're sitting in a room and someone says, so we could cut like at, at NIH because they do some animal studies that are ridiculous sounding. And hey, sure. everyone likes the politics of that. And it's like, you've saved one thousandth of one penny in one year. So that's great. We all agree on that. That's like a start. But it starts to get it starts to get ugly pretty fast. So, for example, if you say we're not going to cut defense, we're not going to cut spending on veterans. All right, that's usually a political starting point. But we're going to allow ourselves to cut Social Security and Medicare. You still need to cut thirty three percent of spending across the board, which would mean you'd have to lay off somewhere north of 1.1 million federal employees. It's a million jobs lost in America, and you'd have to cut twenty to twenty five million people from Medicaid. So that's 25 million people losing their health care. And so people start to say, okay, we don't want to do that. But then someone else chimes in and says, also, guys, if I go back to my boss and I say, we've agreed to cut Social Security and Medicaid, Medicare, the old people will rise up against me. So we're not doing that. So if you exclude Social Security and Medicare, you have to cut all other spending by 78%. That means you're wiping out everything. And I guarantee you, Republicans do not want to do that because it's all well and good to say there's a lot of bloat in the federal budget. But you start saying like, all right, let's start with the agriculture department. Wait a second. Most of these districts are pretty rural and they benefit significantly from these kinds of things. People do not want to cut that. Transportation. Okay, we can cut. Oh, no, wait. There's a lot of roads and bridges in my district. And you start going down the list. My point in all this is actually not to dunk on Republicans. Democrats are in the same box. I don't think that there is a way out of this. There's no face-saving compromise here. If they say they're going to balance the budget or else we're not raising the debt ceiling, we are screwed. Do you guys see a way out of this? Well, I think they're going to find out. Look, I believe the face that you can't balance a budget in 10 years. I believe that's true without drastic cuts to that would actually do some damage to our country. I I think I say this a lot when people are campaigning, they have one theory and one goal and they make this promise and that promise. And then they get to Washington and they're like, oh, poop, we can't do that. That's not going (laughs) to work. And that happens with people on both sides of the aisle. And I think that's what they're going to see as they go through this budget process that, okay, that's not feasible. That being said, I don't poo getting rid of wasteful spending. I don't care if it's one millionth of one cent. If it is wasteful, unnecessary spending, it should be gotten rid of, even if it doesn't help with the balancing of the budget. 
Well, All right, I think we agree on that. I that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. The point idea that Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are in charge of the federal budget is the scariest thing. That's what we really ought to be worried about. But look, speaking about sex with squirrels, Matt, it's time to turn to sex. And let's there, turn to sex. There's, let's talk about which one do you want to do? Do you want to talk do about Hunter? For, are we but, doing Hunter? Or are we doing Donald? We're going to do Donald. This want to do Donald first? This weekend, Donald. All right, do Donald first. The fun one is Stormy Daniels. So anybody who has access to the computer and doesn't care about your adult filters, you can go online and see anything and everything you want about Stormy Daniels. And the point is, Donald Trump did too. And Donald Trump and Stormy clearly had a Stormy affair. And that Stormy affair resulted in Stormy taking her story and wanting to go public with it. Aha. But Donald Trump very strongly did not want Stormy to go public. So Donald Trump said to his conciliary, Michael Cohen, Michael Cohen, who actually talks like this, Michael Cohen, he said to Michael Cohen, look, pay off Stormy. Just you pay her off. And they're on tape, by the way, talking about what it will do to the campaign and the fact that it's got to get done. You got to pay off Stormy. So Michael Cohen goes and he pays off Stormy. $130,000. To me, that seems pretty cheap for paying off Stormy. But what do I know? Donald Trump then writes a check to Michael Cohen for, get this, $130,000. But now Donald Trump claims, so people go after this, hush money. You're using campaign money for hush money. Donald Trump's defense is, I was just trying to save myself and Melania some embarrassment. Think of Melania, right? She would be. Let's think about Melania for a second. Oh, God, should we send her like, I don't know? Should we bake a key into a cake and say we'll get you out of? You, you can be free. We haven't heard too much from Melania, have we? We haven't I heard so bad. We haven't her. heard a. I think she's fine. I, we haven't I, heard. I, I guess I have no doubt. I think she's fine. Like, I don't know. But anyway, I feel bad for her. Anyway, Donald Trump's going to be indicted over this. It looks like. Now, question. Okay, I'm a former prosecutor. Is this a smart move by the prosecutors in New York City to indict Donald Trump over this kind of campaign Michigas? He paid $130,000 in hush money. He's lied about it. Michael Cohen went into the grand jury and told all, just like he's told all, is this a good, strong case? Is it a case where even if he gets if he gets indicted, yeah, you can indict a ham sandwich. Even he gets prosecuted, and even if he's found guilty, what effect? Frankly, for Donald Trump's base, I don't know. I don't think they care. I don't think the Republicans care if Donald Trump had sex with Stormy Daniels and then wanted to hush her up about it. I don't even think they care if he lied about it, because after all, He's the guy who could go to Fifth Avenue, shoot somebody, and nobody would notice. So politically, I think this is stupid, and I think it falls right into the former president and his allies' claims of a witch hunt. And here's why. Did he do something wrong? I don't know. Probably illegally, but no one cares. And here's how it breaks down. So he gives the more than 130 to Michael Cohen to cover his tax whatever would have to be covered from this and his compensation for it. And then Michael Cohen gives it 130 to Stormy Daniels. But then 
there's comments that it was to protect Trump because he was campaigning. That makes it technically an illegal campaign contribution from the Trump organization to the campaign because it didn't go through the campaign, blah, blah, blah. Nobody actually cares. And it does make it sound witch hunting. No one cares that he ha- he's a pig. Does anybody not think the man's a pig? He's a pig. And you mentioned the Access Hollywood things. Of course, the guy's a pig. We all know this. And that's between him and Melania. I don't care where the money came from. Nobody does. And there's some big investigations going on between the documents at Mar-a-Lago to Georgia to January 6th. There's some stuff that actually matter for a potential future president. Having sex with a whore and paying her off really isn't of my concern. She's a film star. Okay. She's a whore. And so mora- morally, we could care, but we don't care. Republicans aren't moral people anymore. That's We're not family value folk anymore. Oh my goodness. Hold on. There's the headline. Republicans. We're not family value folk anymore. I agree. No, you're not. It's No, we're not. This is great. Yeah, the uh, the moral majority is Bye-bye. the moral majority is gone. We're the story Daniel's party now. Yeah, draw straw argument here, right? I, th- this may be a straw person to knock down. See how woke I am? I just called a straw person. I wonder politically, actually, I think we have to flood the zone on him. I I know all of this is confusing. Like I can't keep track of all the ways Donald Trump might get indicted. And I think we lean into that. I think politically, the best outcome here is he gets indicted for everything, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. We need to have everything happen to him all at once so that he's just tied up in litigation and he can't think straight or do anything. I think we bog him down. That's my, throw the the kitchen sink. It's all parallel universes, all happening all at once. He meets Michelle Yao. She refuses to have sex with him. So he asks Michael Cohen to pay off Michelle Yao. (laughs) He asks Michael Cohen to have sex with him. Doesn't work either. And so it's everything, everywhere, all at once. He's in Georgia. He's in New York. He's in Washington, D.C. Yes, he's flying. I think that's the thing. He's flying from courtroom to courtroom with his lawyers in tow, trying to beat back indictment after indictment. And then you know what happens? We're left with Ron DeSantis. Good luck. Good luck, ladies and gentlemen. Ron DeSantis, a Harvard-educated fascist who has studied everything from Oban and Hungary to Hitler and who's got it on the brain. He wants to ban every book. He wants to turn every person who's questioning their sexuality into jailbirds, we're stuck with Ron DeSantis, who out-trumps Trump. I don't think that's, anyone out-trumps Trump. Boy, that's somehow you managed to take a fun topic and you just, you left me feeling really sad there, Hodes. Thanks. Thanks for that. Hey, look, you know what? On that totally depressing note, I, at least let me give a silver lining here. We could have a president in a few years who likes to wear white-heeled boots. And that's that's awesome. Not the one I would have thought but you work with what you got. On that note, why don't we wrap it up here before before we go totally, completely off the rails. Paul, Alicia, I'll see you next week. Alicia, feel better. Thank Come you. back to us with the less of a late night FM radio DJ voice. And we <laughs> will see you all on Balance of Power next week.